this morning. I'm going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of Simon Peter. Yes, that's right. You might not have known this story. Actually, you have known this story. You just haven't thought about it in this way. Um, we are um, celebrating, of course, the resurrection of Christ. But I want to talk specifically about this man named Peter who we can all relate to so much. Here's an actual photograph of Peter. Um, <laughs> you guys are so gracious because I made that joke like two dozen times and every time somebody laughs and I just, I thank you, thank you. It's so sweet of you. Um, this... Uh, uh, Peter was an interesting fellow, and he's everybody's favorite. You, you never have people saying, Bartholomew is my favorite disciple, or um, <laughs> anything. It's always Peter. You occasionally get a John, but always Peter. And the reason is, is he's so bombastic, and he's, he's so bold, um, and he's so flawed and interesting. And I think we see, or at least me, I, a lot of us see ourselves, something of ourselves in this man, uh, both in the good and the bad. So I want to talk about him specifically Peter uh, had been probably, uh, they had been with Jesus close to three years, and, and uh, they had finally reached this fever pitch, of course, on Passion Week. Jesus is in Jerusalem. The entire city has been stirring uh, for days and days, and, and not only are people really excited, people are also really angry, uh, and there is now uh, basically a, a price on, on Jesus' head and, and all the rest of them. They know that they're in very perilous times. And so finally we, we get to this very intense scene where Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them all that they're about to blow it. Very unfortunate. Here's what he says. You will all fall away because of me this night. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Now, I think this was less an example of Jesus forecasting the future in his prophetic way as it was Jesus telling Peter where his own heart was. I think Peter didn't know his heart, and Jesus did. I think Peter was in denial about his actual level of dedication and character. And I think indeed many of us live in denial about what's actually going on in our hearts. You know why? We live in an age of posturing. The world of social media has turned us all into self-marketers, obsessed with presenting an image of health and wholeness according to the trends of the day. We want to show everyone else that we've got it together. We're up to the latest styles. We know the latest lingo so that no one can throw shade at us. See what I did there? And we're current with the social trends of the day. We all use the right hashtags to prove that we're culturally savvy and on the right page. We all can create memes that will earn maximum shares from our friends who believe exactly the same as we do. But it's all misdirection. That's the thing. All of it is misdirection. As long as we have those externals working for us, we feel like it might be possible to hide from ourselves and from others what's really going on in our heart. If Peter had been on social media, he would have killed it. We would all have been following him. He would have been incredibly entertaining. First of all, his Instagram feed would have been spectacular. It would have all been pictures of him with lepers and like Jesus sort of slightly out of focus in the background. It's a really artsy way, you know. 
<laughs> and maybe him even speaking boldly, when maybe he was actually just yelling at a kid, but it looks like he's proclaiming. <laughs> His Twitter feed would have been all these great little snippets from Jesus that he had to ask Bartholomew because he's the one actually taking notes. His Facebook would have been the most entertaining, though, because all the trolls would have come out on Peter, and he would have engaged every single one of them. And he would have gone back and forth for days, and he would have been fascinating. But the best of all would have been his profile picture. He would have used the same one for all of his different social accounts, and it would have been him walking on the water. Of course, it would have been taken right before he fell through. But never mind that, walking on the water. I'm telling you, he would have killed it. But Jesus saw through the posturing, this bombastic, I am the man and I would never do that. Maybe they would, but I'm really the, I, I am solid. Jesus saw right through that facade and he called him out and he said, well, I never. And you know, I think like Peter, sometimes we don't want to admit the truth about ourselves. The scripture is clear that none of us is innocent. But all the posturing is, it's ugly it's ugly. The great, brilliant writer G.K. Chesterton received a request from Time magazine about 100 years ago. Time was doing this uh, special edition with this theme, What's Wrong with the World? Isn't that a good, that's an interesting theme. So they send Mr. Chesterton, we would love for you to send us an essay on what's wrong with the world. They know he's wildly entertaining. He's one of the biggest celebrities in the world. And so they send him this thing, and he responds with a two-word essay. What's wrong with the world? I am. I am. Now, this is pretty consistent with what Scripture says. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. What's wrong with the world? We can't always look out there. It's so easy to look out there, isn't it? Whatever the latest social outrage is towards this or that or that, we go, yeah, me too. This week it was United Airlines. Me too. Yeah. It's like, okay, all right, yeah. But whether we're right or wrong on any of those things, something about looking out is really good at deflecting against what's looking in, what's going on in here. You know what I'm saying? So what's wrong with the world? He didn't say it's United Airlines in their process of overbooking flights and then dragging people off the plane. Okay, that is wrong with the world probably, but that's, that's not the core thing that's wrong with the world because they can work on them and we can do all the things that need to be done to work on them, but what about me? Do I have anything in me that's wrong with the world? Because here's the, here's the problem. The problem is if it's in society, we're, we're in society too. You see that? Society isn't out there, it's also in here. We are all at the same place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that actually should be really great news for us. You see, there's no more egalitarian truth than that. There is no more progressive truth than that. We're all even at the foot of the cross. We've all blown it. How how ridiculous is it for a Christian to be self-righteous? I mean it. And, this, and I'm saying that knowing that self-righteousness is a consistent problem among believers of Jesus. Why is it? It's so backward. We of all people, the reason we're, we're, we come, the reason that we're here today is because we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we desperately need him. There is no room in the Christian life for self-righteousness. 
What's wrong with the world? I am. We are. Back to the story. Jesus is arrested. The disciples run away, just as Jesus said. Peter follows. He follows from a distance. They come outside uh, where Jesus is being arraigned in the, the headquarters of the high priest. It's dark, but everybody's awake. Everybody's buzzing about what's going on inside. They just saw the famous rabbi being hauled in there, now is standing uh, uh, before an emergency trial. All these rabbis coming in, members of the Sanhedrin, all hours of the night, and everybody's going, what's going on, what's going on? Well, here's Peter. Peter saunters in, trying to look nonchalant. And, 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 and here's what happens. Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, the man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Now, this was a real thing. Jesus was from Galilee. The Galilean accent was notorious for being very different from the Judean accent. And in fact, it was considered less refined. It was the, as Joshua would say, the countrified accent. <laughs> you would know immediately when a Galilean was around. You know why? Because they all sounded like Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a Galilean if. And when you, next time you're reading the Gospels, you see things from Galilee come up and you see this sort of tension. This was part of it. They couldn't possibly believe that the Messiah would have come from Galilee. Well, Nazareth and Galilee, are you crazy? He's got to come from some urban elite metropolitan area. But no, he came from a backwater town of Hickville. And so here's Peter and his accents give him away and then he's trying, he's trying to class it up and whatever art thou sayingeth, you know, he's like, stop, just you're embarrassing yourself. You were, you're one of them. No, and here's what he says. Uh, he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Lord, I would never desert you. I do not know the man. Peter comes face to face with his own heart in a moment of horrible self-realization. British journalist Malcolm Mugridge had a similar moment of horrific self-realization. Very different, but similar in a way. Mugridge was a reporter about the middle of the century, he was uh, in India. And while he was there, his sense of morality was sort of floating along with the times. He had recently been married, but was drifting away from his wife and was just sort of indulging in all sorts of pleasures and pushing the line more and more, pushing the line, just getting further down and uh, uh, just grappling with his own conscience. But finally he decides, you know what? I've had it with monogamy. And he decides he wants to have an affair with really anyone. And his sense of entitlement and his sense of, of ego was so inflated that he thought, well, being an Englishman in India, I can have pretty much any woman here. So one night, he's 
bathing in the Ganges. He's taking a swim, and down the way, he sees a woman in the moonlight, disrobing and getting into the water. And he decides, finally, this is the moment. This, this is my opportunity. No one's around. And he feels this desire pulsing through him, so he plunges into the water, and he begins to swim and kick and swim and finally he makes it and he goes under one more time and he co finally comes out of the water right next to this woman and he opens his eyes and he's face to face with a leper. And her fingers, some of them are falling off and her nose and her skin is so horribly disfigured that he recoils in horror and he turns away wanting to say what a, what a lecherous woman this is but at the same time his heart's gripped with this undeniable truth. What a lecherous heart I have. That's a moment of horrible self-realization. We all have horrible places inside of us. Why do we try so hard to deny our brokenness? Why do we try so hard to deny our brokenness? Well, I... I think it's, we, we believe for some reason that love requires that the recipient of love be perfect. But we're wrong. Because love, real love, is unconditional. But we've got this twisted sense that's carried around through centuries of all kinds of weird Greek thought that's come in that said, the thing that's lovable is the perfect. And so then we all try really, really hard to be perfect. Even that sense of perfect is always shifting, always changing. We try to conform to that particular standard to show the world that we're valuable. It's interesting. I, I see this all the time in the special needs community. For those who are visiting, uh, I'm a father of a, a five children, but my middle son is, is, uh, uh, has severe autism and is minimally verbal. He's 11 years old. And I, I've been really active in the online um, community of, of parents and bloggers and things. And, and we do, uh, I, I see all the time on these different pages this statement, my son or my daughter is perfect just the way that she is. And I always wonder, why is it that we want to latch onto that word perfect so much? Why, why is that the insistence? Because I've got four neurotypical kids. Two, or a few of them are here. I lost them now. But I think they, they, well, I'm just looking back there. I'm like, oh, they're gone. I was going to point at it. There they are, aren't there? There's two of them. Thank you, Sam. I'm like looking right next to you. I'm like, I've got four neurotypical kids, and they are beautiful and wonderful and amazing. They're not perfect. I've never tried to tell anybody that they're perfect. First of all, that's a real bummer for them to live up to, isn't it? Nobody's, none of us are there, but why do we have to insist on that particular descriptor being attached to them? You see, here's the thing. Every single one of us has, has, has the image of God embedded into each one of our cells. That is soul-born value that can never be taken away. No, no little disorder can take that away. No diagnosis can take that away. And you know what else? No rebellion can take that away either. It's soul-born. It's there. The reason I adore my son Jack has nothing to do uh, with his, his state of whether he's perf perfect or whether this isn't right or that's going right. It has nothing to do with any of that. I love him because he's my son. The same reason I love Sam. The same reason I love Jenna. 
They're my children. And you guys, I don't think God's any different. I don't think the state of our hearts affects our value in his eyes. I don't think it ever did. I think there's a horrible lie that we have to erase. We have to get rid of it. We all have ugly places inside of us, and it's okay to admit that. It's okay to say, you know what? Dude, I am broken. Why do we, you see, wince, it's even harder. Ooh, is that true? No, no, I'm strong. No, no, yeah. Yeah, you're not as strong as you think you are. If you're here, you guys are beautiful people. But you're as needy as I am. Every single one of you. And you start feeling so self-sufficient because the culture tells you, I should feel self-sufficient. You need to know that's a godless culture telling you to be self-sufficient. We're supposed to be Christ-sufficient. So this need to, 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 to posture ourselves with the perfect self-image and to show the world that you're competent and you can make it, you guys, the quicker we can shed that thing, the quicker we can get on with the real business of life with Jesus Christ. We all have ugly places inside of us that we want to hide, just like Mugridge, because we're afraid if anyone sees what's really down there, if anyone heard all the hateful things we've whispered and unguarded moments with friends, or if anyone saw the, the callous laughter that we've been complicit in or saw our browsing histories, then we'd prove ourselves unworthy of love. But friends, it's not true. It never was true. Peter's own browsing history was exposed the night he betrayed Jesus, the night he denied him three times. There was no use trying to get away from it. Peter was a broken person. And Peter runs away in disgrace while his master is executed on a cross. Horrible, horrible thing. He's there and then he runs while Jesus is beaten before Pilate for hours, whipped, flogged, mocked, struck, and has to carry across 650 yards to Golgotha where he's tortured for hours on end until finally he dies. Peter wasn't there for that, guys. He was, one, he was like his best friend and he, he wasn't there. His heart was exposed. Finally, we get to the good bit of the story. Jesus dies, of course. But a few days later, these three wonderful women show up to the tomb and everything changes. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed and said to him, or excuse me, he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Because he knew Peter would no longer see himself as a disciple, he's totally blown it. 
His wicked heart's been out there. He completely blew up his relationship with Jesus. He had lost his opportunity. The angel says, tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus is waiting for you. He thinks his failures have made love and acceptance impossible, but they haven't. The truth is his failures now, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, his past failures are irrelevant. Do you hear me? This is true of you as well. In, I, I don't think you're hearing me. In light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your past failures are now irrelevant. Am I saying the things you did don't matter? No, I'm, I, I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying that they're irrelevant in light of Jesus. I'm not saying they didn't hurt. They, they might have. But Jesus is back. He took all of those things with him to the cross, and now he's back. And now he lives on, and we can live on with him. It doesn't matter how severe those things were. It doesn't matter how many times, if you're a believer in Jesus, how many times you have betrayed him and walked away, just like Peter. Those things you know what? Is that good? No. But is it irrelevant? Yes, because he's here offering you the same deal. Do you want to live again? Do you want to live again? See, that's the offer. Do you want to live again? And guess what? Peter takes him up on the offer. Will you come and see him, the disciples and Peter? And he does. And here we get this, this wonderful scene of reconciliation on a beach over a breakfast of fish. Jesus restores and embraces him, and it's like nothing. Well, you know what? Everything changes this moment for Peter. Every, he's, he's a different man from here on out. All it took is a little breakfast with Jesus. You want to never be the same? Have breakfast with Jesus. From this point on, he's, he's almost unrecognizable. He's no longer trying to posture himself. He doesn't care what people think anymore. He's just going, and he, his, his life is, is abandoned to the risen Christ. He doesn't care anymore. He'll stand before authorities and preach. He doesn't care anymore. He steps out in boldness. He doesn't care anymore because now he's been resurrected with Christ. You see, this is the story not only of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's also the story of the resurrection of Peter. And this is also the story of the resurrection of Jason. His resurrection is our resurrection. That is the truth of this day. His resurrection is our resurrection. If we will die with him, then we live with him. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. And that's where we are. That's where all of us can be. Tim Keller says this. I love this. You ready? This is good. Brace yourself. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Oh, isn't that good? You see, you can be fully, full, you can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. We thought before we had to choose one. But you don't have to choose one because there's one who loves you fully even though he sees you fully. Do you see what mind blowing news this is. Yeah. You don't have to posture anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to seek out the hashtags anymore. You don't have to try to look perfect anymore because you're not. And it doesn't matter because you've already blown it. And it's irrelevant because he already loves you. You see what I'm saying? You guys, his mercies are new every morning. 
every single morning. Now, right now it's 12.05, so it's just afternoon, but guess what? In Hawaii, it's still morning. So his mercies are new today, right now. <laughs> Your failures are irrelevant in light of Jesus Christ. And he's come to offer, new, offer you new life. This is the truth. Please stand with me. I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to respond to him this morning. Maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe you grew up knowing and loving him, but you've walked away and, you know, you've gotten stuck. I'm going to give you the opportunity to just make a decision. There's nothing magic in a prayer. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's nothing magic in a prayer, but there is something incredibly beautiful at a changing heart. And here's the opportunity to tell the Lord, Lord, here's my heart. It's broken. Can you fix me? Can you fix it? Because I can't do it. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Or maybe you've never seen him before. In the first, I've got to tell you, he's really good. He's really good. And your past failures are irrelevant. So if you want to you give yourself to him, I'm going to just, I'm going to offer that right now. Let's give ourselves to him. I'm going to give myself to him again. If you want to pray that, here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, Lord, I give you my everything. I'm going to say, Lord, I've blown it. I know I've blown it. I want to give you myself Again, would you please take me? If you want to pray that with me, please do. Lord Jesus, I've blown it. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I'm lost without you. I'm a terrible ruler of my own life. But I want you to be king from now on. Please forgive me for all the ways I've blown it. And please take charge of my life. Amen. 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 Isn't that good? Now, the prayer servant team's up here. Here's what I want to ask you. If, you did, if, if, this is, if this is a commitment that you're making to him that you haven't made before, maybe you have made before, if this is a commitment for you, I want you to come forward and tell us so we can pray with you. Because there is, there's, there's, there is a powerful thing that happens when we give him lordship over our lives. It's a new day. It can be breakfast with Jesus. That's what this is, breakfast with Jesus. Be blessed. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Thank you, guys.